Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to former Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand, Paula Bennett. After entering Parliament in 2005 as a National List MP, Paula worked hard to help New Zealanders thrive and ended up in Cabinet as Minister of Social Development, Employment, Disabilities and Youth Affairs. She later served as Minister of Women, Police and State Services, and of course became National's Deputy Leader and Deputy Prime Minister in 2017. If you think of sales as the ability to influence decision makers in order to meet other people's needs, I can think of very few with as honed skills as Paula. So it's no surprise that since leaving politics, Paula has ended up in a commercial role as Director Strategic Advisor at Bailey's Commercial. So here to talk to us about how years as a successful politician have prepared her for a commercial role at one of New Zealand's largest real estate businesses, welcome to the show. Thank you, it's good to be on. So so Paula, first of all, let's talk about the role of sales skills in politics. It's interesting. I mean, it's, it is all about influencing. It's about having an idea and then being able to listen and refine that and then convince people and go out there. And so in that respect, there is that kind of sales and marketing behind it. And, you know, you're, you're selling something that is a vision for this country when you're campaigning. And then when you're in government or even in opposition, you have a role to try and bring people with you, you know, to convince and influence them. And I would consider that in some way, shape or form, you know, a form of sales, I suppose. And you entered politics as a list MP, but later on you became an electorate MP. So at that point, you're you're effectively selling, you know, the, the idea of yourself. How, how was that? Yeah, that's quite fascinating. And, you know, I've been involved in a lot of campaigns and then obviously my own. And, you, you know, when I first ran, I didn't win. Uh, in fact, I had, I think, about 15,000 vote, um, votes between myself and the then winner. And so that's a lot of people to convince and turn around. And so you're yeah. doing it through a range of different ways. You know, one, one is through brand recognition, if you like. So mm-hmm. you want people to know who you are. Um, you want them to be able to understand who you are very quickly. So as much as they might want to get to know you, you equally want them to kind of come up with you know, what you stand for in a, in a relatively quick way. And then the marketing behind it, to be quite honest, is actually quite basic. You know, it's kind of the six touches. It's the visual of billboards that everybody hates. Um, <laughs> it's something in the mailbox. It's the use of um, social media. Now, of course, you probably use data and algorithms at some level a lot better than what you used to back when I was sort of running in that mid to late um, 2000s. But, mm. you know, you, you ultimately are trying to work out, you know, who your customer is, so who the public are, whom you're most likely to relate to and be able to influence and then get your message as simply as possible to them. And you, you had a bit of a background prior to politics, which would have given you a bit of a head start, didn't you? 
Yeah, it was quite funny. I mean, I had um, worked in a variety of roles before I went to uh, um, university, sorry. And then when I left university, I actually worked for Murray McCulley. And when I left him and wanted to join the commercial world, I went into recruitment. Mm -hmm. And it was a long interview process to get the job because they couldn't see how my background you know, easily assimilated into sales yep. and I can remember it getting to about interview number six you know and I, and they liked me obviously and they saw something but they as I say that I just didn't quite fit you know I've got a nice little mold and I remember saying to them you know I'd sort of had enough by then I said to them look do you want me or not you know what's the problem and they said well you just don't fit nicely and we're concerned about this, the sales aspect and I laughed at them and I said if I can sell a politician I can sell anything you know <laughs> uh, yeah. and at that point pretty much got the job so yeah uh, an interest, and I was um, very successful as a recruitment um, consultant for me I like to do something um, that, that has a bit of heart with it as well yes. and helping people into work and working out what um, commercial organisations and companies needed and of course you know the, the best thing you can do is have the right people in the right jobs and so playing a part in that was something I felt really a privilege of and loved and so it wasn't hard to go to work every day. So once you got into the role and you started climbing the ranks how does how does that work behind closed doors? How do politicians go about influencing party and national policy? Well, let's be clear, you need to know what you stand for and you know, have to know what you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And I would argue I've taken it into my commercial world, right? So, you know, back then, I literally used to do it by the piece of, you know, brown paper on the wall that was about the length of the wall. We, of course, sort of had a three-year window when you're in politics because that's yeah. when you're going up, you know, for your, for your mm -hmm. count. And yeah. so you have a relatively short period of time, particularly when you're new in a role, to you know, work out what success looks like, be able to articulate that very, um, very simply, mm -hmm. then break down how you were going to achieve, achieve that success. And alongside of it was a big part of how you bring the public with you. And some of it was, uh, which actually our current Prime Minister is very good at, is, is uh, winning the war of language. <laughs> yeah, so... So, so I knew what I stood for. I knew what I wanted to accomplish in the role. I didn't know how necessarily how it would all work in the in the early days. You know, like just working out the bureaucracy. And and I did have a degree in um, public policy, so you know I I was able to put that to good use. Mm -hmm. But equally, then being able to say, well, you know, how we're we gonna you can't just spring this on the public all of a sudden because I was going for major reforms uh, in my portfolios. So yeah. how was I going to bring them bring them with me? to actually get to a point where they were saying, well, you know, uh, yes, that's what we want and we encourage it. And I always used to think they don't have to agree with everything that you're doing, but they have to understand why and trust that you've put the work in behind it. And mm -hmm. surely that goes in kind of across the board, no matter what sort of roles you're in. And, and how much how much was there in terms of selling internally, getting your other, you know, stakeholders on board and the prime minister uh, and other ministers? A lot, a lot. You know, so obviously you sort of worked out exactly what you um, what you wanted to accomplish. Then you set about a work program as to how you were going to do that. And then alongside of it, you did exactly what everyone should be doing now if they're in sales uh, roles, which is going, so who are the people I need to influence? Who are the key decision makers? You know, how do I actually bring them? And there's a lot of it. I mean, 
you know, we we used to occasionally have the, the discussion of, you know, power over persuasion, and, and I'm someone that believes in persuasion. Mm. So, uh, you know, a Ministry of Social Development you know, then was about 10,000 employees. You know, they had, gosh, I remember, 147 officers throughout the country. Wow. So I then went about and figured the more desks I could sit on the corner of and speak to people in the front line, the more I could listen, the more I could learn, the more I could speak to beneficiaries themselves. Mm -hmm. Then when I asked for significant change, I've at least looked them in the eye and there's a degree of trust. And so, you know, I saw them as majorly key influences as to whether or not the policy changes that I wanted to make would be successful because they would be the people that would be implementing them. And then, yeah, there's heaps of, and then the bureaucracy. I mean, I could, you know, trust me, I did argue with them on a um, regular basis, but equally, you know, I wanted them to believe in the changes that I wanted to make. So, uh, you know, selling my ideas to them was almost part of it as well. So many parallels with the corporate world, just, just you know, preparation and targeting and persistence and all, all of that sort of thing. No, no different. No different. And keeping it simple. I mean, I know we always, you know, I know it's said a lot, but in my experience, you know, it definitely was the keeping something as kind of simple as you could, mm. even though there might be the complexity and the depth of work that had gone on behind it because you had to, right? Because, you know, and I used to say to people, this isn't calling talk back, you know, this isn't, um, you know, writing writing, writing a letter to the editor, you know, this is actually people's real lives. And so you had to take the role extremely seriously. And by all means, that work did go in behind it where you were looking at unintended consequences, what moving that piece might mean to moving, you know, another or that, you know, and all of that. But then you needed to simplify it down so that people could easily grasp the concept so yeah. that you could then go out and sell it. So so from a brand point of view, thinking about a political party as a brand, how much um, awareness and discussion was there around being true to that brand? Uh, we, we'd never define it that way. We would say true to um, the values of the party. Um, you know, true to its constitution and even to the point of, you know, where and why it had um, been formed and then trying to check that quite regularly so that you were still saying, staying modern and relevant, yes. you know, in, 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 the, in the modern world. And I did a lot of that work as um, when we went into opposition from being in government as the mm-hmm. deputy leader, you know, uh, people say we just sort of didn't prepare. Well, we actually spent a lot of time and I did a lot of work in stripping us back and genuinely looking at what we stood for. So we would describe it more like that into, you know, what what we stood for and its relevance to New Zealanders. And then alongside of it, oh, we definitely had that branding work where you looked at the colour you were using and you looked at your logo and you made sure that you were refreshing and, and, as I say, staying true to what it was but then also you know seeing that we were open to change but um but that that kind of you know we should I remember my maiden speech and I think I was one of the first for the National Party we had a big intake that year in 2005 and I gave my speech on the same day that Christopher Finlayson did and he is far more scholarly than me uh, and you probably couldn't meet two different people as far as personality wise and that sort of thing and we actually gave in many respects completely different speeches and you know because this Westie girl that speaks a bit plainly and you know shoots from the (laughs) hip and 
and feels everything yeah. on her heart and makes sure everyone knows it. And, you know, um, <laughs> to someone who Christopher literally, you know, quoted you know, Latin phrases all through his and you know, everything else. And <laughs> I remember afterwards he came up and he said they probably couldn't have been more different. However, we said the same thing. And surely within an organisation, that's what's really important as well, is mm. that, no, you don't want robots. No, you don't want everyone that speaks the same, and you know, but you have to know that when you stand up, and even if you didn't know the answer to something in depth, you could go back to those core values that you know that the organisation stood for, and you'd be right. Yeah, yeah. So... If you look back on your whole political career, what would be the the one influencing achievement you're proudest of? I mean, that's really hard because you know, with all respect, it was a big um, it was mm. a it was a, a big career. You know, I had yeah, yeah, fourteen yeah. different portfolios. Um, I had you know a lot of responsibility in different ways. I mean, I loved the work at um, the Ministry of Social Development. I think working for some of our most unfortunate, I had been there. I knew what needed to be done, and I suppose I'm kind of lucky that I'm not someone that has to be agreed with or loved all the time. You know, I, I sort of do that. You've got to crack some eggs to make an omelette. Um, you know, does sort of resonate for me. Mm -hmm. And what I did do constantly though was check that I was doing things for the right reason. And I think we should all be kind of proud of that. You know, that that should be something that we should be checking into our own heads mm -hmm. and making sure that we're not getting a bit overrun by ego or we're not getting overrun because we're only listening to a certain crowd or, or proportion. And I, I felt passionately and then had the intellect and the right people around me to be able to test my ideas and things to make sure that, um, that they would sort of make a difference. So, you know, incredibly proud of that. But I think also one of the, when it comes to influencing, if you like, I had a huge role in influencing, yeah, the bureaucracy and, you know, there's sort of 35,000 people that work in different ministries as a Minister of State Services. So trying to put them in a position where they were able to service the New Zealand public better and work with ministers and hopefully get a bit better connected than what they can sometimes be when they're locked away in Wellington and only looking through one lens. That was something I spent a lot of time on. So let's let's fast forward. So now you're um, you're in the team at Bailey's and the commercial team at Bailey's. What's your role there? Yeah, so I'm strategic advisor, which means I kind of get to define it a bit for myself, which is fun. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, 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 really cool. So part of the executive, so, you know, in that I look at any, I sort of say anything that's nice and complex is something I'd love to have my um, my fingers in and be trying to get the best result uh, for our clients. And from that perspective, it will often, but not necessarily always, have a government perspective to it. Mm. And certainly that's what they call on and that, that level of expertise. And I suppose I'm really lucky that over those many years, I have formed very good relationships I'm able to pick up the phone. I'm able yeah. to ask questions differently. I'm able to influence uh, some that might need it as far as different decisions and that sort of thing. So, hey, I'm in a sales job. You know, I remember when I was going for the job and thinking quite seriously about what I might do and I was lucky enough to have options. And, uh, you know, I'd sort of worked out I didn't want to be a residential agent. Um, I worked out I wanted something that was big and complicated. And I remember the chairman turning around and saying, and him saying, you know, we're all salespeople. I'm a salesperson. 
you know, and I quite liked that because, you know, I do get a buzz out of, um, it definitely gives me a buzz, you know. And then I knew the brand that mattered to me. I knew I kind of wanted a big organisation because I'd come from something so big yes. and I can be a big personality. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I would drive a small office mad. I mean, I drive myself <laughs> mad now in lockdown, you know. Yeah. Um, but I would, you know, I knew I kind of needed people and then yeah I spent a lot of time looking at the values of the organization because you know that had been important to me in previous roles and I knew yeah. it would be in this one as well I had to feel it. So what, what are the main differences you found going from public to private sector? Yeah it's funny um, so here's a complete juxtaposition you know in one respect um, government can be so slow and clunky but in another respect, it can be incredibly fast adrenaline. You know, John Key used to say, you're not watching the news, you're making the news. That's pretty uh, cool. And, you know, and that is pretty cool. And you are, you know, you're having to dissect a lot of information, take it in, and then make decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know people that get paralyzed by the fear of mistakes. Mm. And, you know, and you, so you are making big decisions really quickly trust in your own instincts and you couldn't get away with doing half the work you know so yeah hours incredibly long and all that sort of thing so it, it, so in that respect as I say government you know there are times when you've been working on something for you know six months even a year my goodness you know there were times when I'd think and we'd say it actually out loud you know we're still having conversation five years later but just in a different way which is on the same <laughs> issue you know like surely yeah, yeah. Um, and that's okay because you know Child poverty is not an easy one to fix overnight. You know, one hopes you keep <laughs> talking about it if you like. Yeah. But they were, you know, they were really, you know, some, but you, you, you know, there is definitely nothing like that decision making, uh, as I say, having respect for whom you're making the decisions for mm -hmm. and then being able to execute that. And then again, things could be very slow and clunky. Now, Got you know, switch that to the commercial world. Well, there's something really exciting, and you know, your managing director or your chairman of the board being able to just make a call and go for it. Yes. You know, like that's that's really really cool. You know, you're literally as good as you know how hard you work, which mm, is probably mm. the same across the board. But um, as I say, in that commercial world, you can just kind of make a decision that corporate, you know, and then. I don't have to go through 50 people to kind of get uh, a decision or go for it. And, you know, and you can influence pretty quickly from within and then kind of get on with what you're doing. So it does feel faster in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's as it should be. Um, of course, it just doesn't quite have the extent of influence across the country, which is, you know, kind of the adrenaline that you get, particularly when you're a government minister. Yeah, but I'm sure you're working on it, though. Well, yeah, why not? You know, take over the world. <laughs> so but do, it's, so yeah, do. I mean, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely more fun because you're not watching your back every minute. You know, I suppose that's the downside of that public life. And something you've got to be careful of is that you almost, you, you could almost get to a stage where you're second guessing everything you say because it can be misconstrued. And then, you know, the frustrating part of that wasn't so much that you made a mistake because people do, and it was that that could take you off your messaging and your huge workload for literally days while you mm -hmm. deal with a problem. And you just didn't, you know, and, and that would be, you know, you'd get to the end of a, I don't know, I didn't have, well, I, certain times when I made mistakes and things, I was going to say scandals, you see, but I didn't really have, 
I didn't really do anything too inappropriate. No, you didn't. <laughs> no. Um, you know, that was okay. But, um, but you know, you sort of get to the end of something that had blown up and gone on and on and, you know, and you just think, wow, you know, like what a waste of time. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so that would be incredibly frustrating. And so then you'd just be more careful. And I don't disagree with being careful, but it would just be that you'd misused a word or you'd, you know, sort of gone off. So not having that now is a lot more fun. You know, you can just kind of go for it. And, you know, let's be honest, most, you know, unless I break the law or, I don't know, do something incredibly hideously immoral, I'm not likely to end up on the front page of the paper tomorrow. And that's It must be lovely for your family as well, just to, you know, be able to get on with life. Get on with life, as I say, you know, work hard, make decisions and have a few laughs and a bit of fun and, you know, not sort of be worried that someone's secretly recording you and going to try and use it against you because you slightly, you know, said something that, I don't know, someone else would disagree with and, you know, and off you'd go sort of thing. So, yeah, that the, the good side of the corporate world is yeah. definitely that freedom, yeah. That's cool. Hey, Paul, this has been a really interesting discussion. Thank you. Um, look, last, last question I'll ask you is if you were to give our listeners a single piece of advice when it comes to sales and or marketing that they could go in action in the morning, what would it be? Just what does success for you look like? And, you know, that was to the point where, um, you know, so I'm a um, you know, my mental way of thinking is to visualize, you know, so I'm a very visual person. And mm. so, you know, I'd literally get in, well, when I went to Parliament, I would walk through the library every morning because I think it's the most amazing building there. And as I stepped onto those steps, I would just think, right, you leave everything else behind because right now, you know, I am going to give this day everything I've got. I'm in a work frame of mind. I've measured what success is and I do it now and I certainly did it before I went into parliament I would literally you know hop in hop in the lift and that would be my time of letting my day go my argument with my husband that morning my you know whether or not I'd pack the kids lunch properly and just go you know what you know someone can call me if they need to but right now you know I'm going to give this everything I've got and then so that 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 um, I think that that kind of discipline, you know, being able to be disciplined. But then even going into a sales meeting, I would just go right. What are the three things I want them to remember when I walk out? Mm-hmm. You know, and that might not be that I've got the best rate or that I, you know, um, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. might be I would think I want them to know that I'm damned competent, that mm. no one will work harder for them than I will, and I give a damn. Yeah, and and so the other stuff around the sales and being prepared and all of that well yes of course but I used to think it's how they feel when they're making a decision whether or not to work with you later uh, and you know so I, I I would you know and I'd almost tick them off in my head when I'd see a light go on in their eyes when I'd said something I'd say right hey, you know that, that person now knows I'm competent yeah, yeah, I don't have yeah. to convince them of that now, you know, and then it would be, yeah. So I would literally almost tick those three things off in my head during my sales meeting. Absolutely great advice. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Paula. I've really enjoyed it, Ben. Good luck to everyone out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. 
See you next time. 